Good morning. This morning's uh, main Bible reading is from the book of Mark and the sixth chapter, and it'll be the 30th verse through to the 44th verse. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 44. So Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30, and it's got a heading, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Let us hear the very word of God. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Amen. This is God's word, and may he bless the reading and the preaching of his word. A very good morning to you all again. Welcome. It's great to see you all. So as a church, we're continuing with our series in the book of Mark, and this morning it's Mark chapter 6, this is 30 to 44, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and I believe there's a lot of lessons for us to learn from this passage this morning. So let's dive in straight away at verse 30, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, what do we read there? This is the word of God. The apostles, the twelve apostles, gathered around Jesus 
and reported to him all they had done and taught. So I suppose the first question for us to think about is, what did the apostles do and teach? What were all these things that they had done and taught? Well, the answer is found in verses 12 and 13. If we flick back to Mark chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. What had the apostles done and taught? What do we read there? They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So what had the apostles done? Well, verse 13, isn't it? Drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. That's what they had done. So what had they taught? Well, the answer is in verse 12 then. They went out and preached that people should repent. What a huge teaching subject, isn't it? Repentance. They went out and preached that people should repent. Now, we could spend the next 30 minutes sort of thinking about repentance. What does it mean to preach that people should repent? But I suppose to put it simply, it literally means a change of mind. I'm no Greek expert, but I'm an expert at reading commentaries. But apparently, the Greek word is metanoia, which means literally a change of mind. What a big subject for the apostles to be preaching. He was telling people, you need to change your mind. Stop believing the lies and believe the truth in Jesus, isn't it? Stop thinking the way that you are currently thinking and have heavenly thoughts, isn't it? Think on Jesus. You need to have a change of mind and a change of heart. Stop living for the things that you are currently living for, sort of passing things, worldly things, sinful things, and turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. What a huge subject, isn't it? Repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart, a turning away from sin and turning to Jesus. And I'd just like to stop for a moment and just ask the question, have you done that? I'm not sure if every single person in this room, I can't be sure, can I, that every single person in this room has repented, has had a change of mind, a change of heart. Has everyone in this room turned from their sin and turned to Jesus? Well, if you haven't, do you know what? I don't mind if you don't listen to the rest of the sermon. And if you just spend the rest of the sermon repenting, just turning from your sin, changing your mind. I don't want to live the way I used to live. I don't want to think the way that I used to think. I don't want to live for the things that I used to live for. I want to live for Jesus. I want to turn to him. I want to trust in him, believe that he died for me, rose for me. Repent and believe on Jesus right now. Because we don't know when Jesus will return. You don't know when your last breath, your last heartbeat will be. But how do you think the apostles must have felt after teaching all the things that they had taught and after doing all the things they had done. They must have felt quite excited, because they were doing exciting things. They had an exciting message to preach. They were doing exciting things. 
They had an exciting and a rewarding work. But they also must have been absolutely exhausted, don't you think? They must have been sort of physically exhausted, but also emotionally exhausted. Because they had seen sad and desperate lives being transformed before their very eyes as they told people to repent, to have a change of mind, a change of heart. And as they healed people from their sickness, sad and desperate lives being changed right before their eyes. Could you imagine the emotions that the apostles went through as they saw lives being changed right before them? And I'm sure we've all been there in different degrees, haven't we? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm sure we've all been there. I'm sure you've maybe come alongside someone who is sad and desperate. And maybe their life is a real wreck. You come alongside them, and maybe you go on a journey with them, and you see them being transformed. They have a change of heart, a change of mind. And it is such a privilege, isn't it? It's so rewarding, but it's also emotionally draining, isn't it? Uh, One example I can think of, when we were in the church in Swansea, we had someone come into the church who was an alcoholic and a drug addict, and she was going to die unless she had some help. And she agreed to go to a Christian drug and alcohol rehab center called Teen Challenge. And I'm not sure if they still do this, but the reason Teen Challenge is so successful is that the people who go there really want to go there. They don't just sort of accept anyone. They tell you, right, we're going to give you three weeks now, and for the next three weeks, you need to phone every day, and you need to keep going to your local church. So we had this girl, alcoholic, drug addict, and she had to phone Teen Challenge every day for the three weeks. And for the three weeks, she would basically live in different people's homes in the church. And we had her come to stay with us. And do you remember this, Hannah? And basically... With a, a very heavy alcoholic, they can't just stop like that or they would die. <laughs> so basically, she had to drink like a bottle of wine every day just in case she died. And you'd basically just have to sit with her all day while she was like sipping wine just to make sure she doesn't get into contact with her old sort of friends, sort of drug addicts, if she went on the heroin again or got into all sorts of trouble. And he was like, so the time that she spent with us, at the end, you were like, oh, you were just exhausted. You were emotionally and physically exhausted. But she went to Teen Challenge and had her life completely transformed. She married a godly strong man and has had two children. And it's so rewarding, isn't it, seeing that. But those three weeks were so intense, isn't it, on a journey with someone, coming alongside them. It was exhausting, but so rewarding. So the apostles must have been physically and emotionally exhausted from their work. But there was still no let up for the apostles, was there? People kept coming to them, and the apostles didn't even have a chance to eat. And I love this. Jesus spots it, doesn't he? He sees that the apostles are suffering, and he wants to take care of them. And my friends, Jesus sees you in your suffering. 
If you're exhausted this morning, physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, if you're just overwhelmed this morning, Jesus sees you and he wants to help. He wants to take care of you. Isn't that wonderful, the way he cares for the apostles? He has a compassion on the apostles, first and foremost. What do we read in verses um, 31 and 32 of Mark chapter 6? Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So the apostles must have been so overwhelmed. They'd been constantly sort of giving out, sort of teaching, constantly sort of healing people. And Jesus could see this, couldn't he? And what does Jesus say? Apostles, what you need is a strong cup of coffee. Is that what he said? Apostles, what you need is an energy drink. Apostles, what you need is some sugar. Get some chocolate. What you need is some sleep. What you need is a holiday. Is that the answer? Is that what Jesus said to the apostles who were exhausted and overwhelmed? No, what does Jesus say? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there when we've felt exhausted and overwhelmed. And maybe you're feeling like that right now this morning. I'm just exhausted and I'm overwhelmed. Well, Jesus is saying to you, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. What are we to do if we're feeling exhausted and overwhelmed? Go with Jesus by ourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. But then the question is, well, where do I meet Jesus then? Well, we meet Jesus in his word, don't we? Jesus walks out to meet us from every page of Scripture. Isn't that wonderful? So just you by yourself with a Bible and prayer in a quiet place. That's what we need to do. And I think it's very significant that Jesus says, by yourself. Come with me by yourselves. It's almost like leave your mobile phone in the car, in the house, switch it off. Leave your laptop, leave your diary, leave any distractions, any hindrances, leave them, just come by yourself. Leave the energy drink and the strong coffee, come by yourself. Just you, a Bible and prayer and meet with Jesus. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place. Because when we're exhausted and overwhelmed, we sometimes do think of all the sort of human things that we need, isn't it? Oh, I need a holiday. Oh, I need a strong coffee, an energy drink. Oh, I need sort of chocolate or whatever, isn't it? No, Jesus says, come with me by yourself to a quiet place. But very often we sort of say, but I haven't got time to do that. I, even got, I haven't even got the time to go to a quiet place with Jesus by myself to get some rest. Well, Jesus 
He's the busiest man who ever lived, isn't he? But he made time to meet with his Father in heaven. We just make time for this. This is so important. We don't need to spend a whole day, but we need to make time, just an hour or something, isn't it? To go to a quiet place by ourselves to meet with Jesus to get rest. It may mean, like Jesus did, it may mean getting up while it's still dark, isn't it? But we do make time for things that we want in life, don't we? We make time to meet with our friends or uh, go to the gym or whatever, isn't it? Oh, I make time for that. Well, make time to meet with Jesus in a quiet place by yourself, isn't it? But you might think, well, if I, have, if I have to get up early while it's still dark to go to a quiet place to meet with Jesus, won't that just make me even more tired? No, Jesus renews our strength, doesn't he? We all love the promise, don't we, in Isaiah 40. What do we read in Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31? Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Sometimes I'm too tired to pray, or I'm too tired to get up early to meet with Jesus. If you do that, your strength will be renewed. That's the promise, isn't it? A wonderful promise. But I must say that spending time alone, reading our Bible and praying, is no substitute for church. So if someone says, oh, I wasn't at church today because I went to a quiet place to spend time alone with Jesus. I'm like, I don't know who you were meeting with, but you certainly weren't meeting with Jesus because he'd have told you, get to my church, wouldn't he? Meet with my people. I'm sure many of us read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 this week. What's the promise there? 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the local church in Corinth, isn't it? So the local church is the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, isn't it, plural, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus lives and walks among his people, the church. So Jesus' presence is more strongly known and felt among his people, among his gathered people, the church. So as important as it is to spend time alone in a quiet place with Jesus, we also need to gather with his people, don't we? And verses 33 and 34 are just staggering, aren't they? Mark chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. What do we read there? But many who saw him leaving, recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, what did he do? What would you have done? Oh, did Jesus say, oh, can't you people just leave us alone for five minutes? Can't you see we're exhausted? We're physically and emotionally exhausted. Can't you just give us a break for a minute? Is that what Jesus did 
Did he lose his rag? (laughs) Did he have like a bit of a wobble? No. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And that's what sheep without a shepherd need, isn't it? They need teaching. What about that phrase, sheep without a shepherd? Where do we first read those words in the Bible? A bit of a quiz for us. Where do we first read those words, sheep without a shepherd? I think it's quite significant where we find it. It's in Numbers chapter 27, when the Israelites were in the wilderness before they entered Canaan, the promised land. And it's Numbers chapter 27 and verses 15 to 18. Sheep without a shepherd. What do we read there? Numbers 27, verses 15 to 18. So the Israelites are in the wilderness. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hands on him. Isn't that interesting? Sheep without a shepherd. And who was going to be their shepherd? A man called Joshua. Now, isn't that significant? What is Joshua in Hebrew? Yehoshua. Joshua in Aramaic, Yeshua. What is Joshua in Greek? Jesus. You might be thinking, "Ah, isn't that Jesus? Jesus is Jesus. Yeshua is Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The man called Jesus was to be their sort of leader, their shepherd. There's a picture there of Christ, isn't there? Our great shepherd, our great spirit-filled shepherd. So if we fast forward 1,400 years then to Mark chapter 6, verses 33 to 34. And there are Israelites in a remote place. Maybe like a wilderness type place. And they are like sheep without a shepherd. And who is the sort of spirit-filled shepherd who comes to feed them and to lead them? Well, it's another Yeshua, isn't it? It's another Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, God, the eternal Son, isn't it? Now, Israel have had bad shepherds, haven't they? Israel had bad shepherds in the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, we read about the Lord sort of condemning bad shepherds. It's a chapter that's quite familiar to many of us. Ezekiel 34, the Lord's sort of condemning these bad shepherds. And the Lord is basically telling them, uh, you don't take care of the sheep properly. You're only sort of looking after yourselves. And you don't strengthen the weak sheep. And you don't go looking for the lost. So he sort of condemns these bad shepherds. And then in Ezekiel 34, the Lord himself sort of says, well, 
I'll do it myself. I will look for my sheep, and I will look after them. And what do we read then in verses 35 and 37 of Mark chapter 6? By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very dark, very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. We start seeing the ugly side of the apostles there, don't we? In verses 35 to 37. That's the ugly side of the apostles. They're behaving like the bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34 there, aren't they? You know, no doubt, there must have been children and, like, the elderly and the frail among this huge crowd. It was 5,000 men, wasn't it? So what do you think the crowd must have been? At least 15,000. And there must have been small children there and elderly and frail people. And what are the apostles saying? They, they try and send them away. They can go and look after themselves. They're behaving like bad shepherds there, isn't it? And when Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat, what did he mean? What did Jesus mean when he told the apostles, why don't you give them something to eat? Well, Jesus might have meant, you feed them with teaching. Feed them with the word of God. He may have been saying that, Or he was telling the apostles, perform a miracle and feed them. Come on, you are apostles. I have empowered you. You have been driving out demons. You have been healing the sick. Feeding 15,000 people with food. That that shouldn't be too hard for you. Come on, isn't it? But the apostles sort of just don't get Jesus, do they? They don't get what he's saying. And what do we read then in the second half of uh, verse 37? Mark 6 and the second half of verse 37. There they said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Again, their heart is barred there, isn't it? Again, it's a barred heart bad shepherding from the apostles again. What are they worried about? They're just worried about their pockets, aren't they? They're worried about how much it's going to cost them to feed other people. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't... I don't think Jesus literally expected them to spend half a year's wages to feed the people. But what if Jesus did? What if he turned around and said, yeah, yeah, we have got, um, I don't know, 15,000 in the bag. Yeah, go and spend that on food for these people. What's the problem? Isn't it? Would the apostles have made that sacrifice in order to carry out Jesus' commands? And I think the challenge for us is, are we ready to make sacrifices? Maybe not necessarily financial ones, but are we ready to make sacrifices so we can be obedient to Jesus' commands. 
It is a privilege to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? But there's also a cost. There's also a cost in following Jesus. Well, what do we read then in verses 38 to 40? Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So five loaves and two fishes. That's like five tuna sandwiches. I can't stand tuna sandwiches, can you? Five tuna sandwiches. How are they meant to feed 15,000 people with five tuna sandwiches? You couldn't even feed like 50 people, could you, with five tuna sandwiches? We had church lunch last week, didn't we? Can you imagine if Hannah and Julia turned up with five tuna sandwiches? And said, well, there you go. This is the food for today. We'll be like, what? Are you serious? What are we meant to do with this, isn't it? So the apostles must have been thinking, what on earth is going on here? But I think they should have sort of twigged what was going on. What on earth is going on here? He's asking us for bread? What's going on? I think the fact that Jesus told the apostles to gather people into groups of hundreds and fifties should have given them a clue about what was about to happen. So if we rewind again about 1,400 years back, what do we read in Exodus chapter 18 when Moses' father-in-law Jethro sort of comes to see what Moses is doing? And he gives him some advice. So again, you've got Israel in the wilderness. What do we read in Exodus chapter 18, verse 21? So this is Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, giving some advice to Moses. Select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Isn't that interesting? So when Israel were in the wilderness, sort of starving to death, they were miraculously fed by bread from heaven, as we've sung about this morning. So if we fast forward again 1,400 years, and there are Israelites in a remote place, and they are hungry, you feel as if someone should have just gone up to the apostles, isn't it, and said, Guys, come on, look. Israelites in a remote place, hungry. Jesus is talking about bread, and people are in groups of hundreds and fifties. Ring any bells, isn't it? (laughs) They should have been, oh, I've seen this before. I've read about this before. What do you think is going to happen next? Well, what did happen next? What do we read in verses 41 and 42. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. 
So why did Jesus look up to heaven before giving thanks? Well, that's where his father is, his eternal father. His eternal father is in heaven. And he looks up to him before performing the miracle, before giving thanks for the food and breaking it. And Jesus always lives in complete dependence on his father. So it's almost like he wanted a signal to everyone, I live in complete dependence on my father in heaven. Look, I'm looking up to him. So relying on him. I wonder if we should pray like that sometimes. We should look up to heaven where our Father in heaven is and where Jesus is sat at his right hand side. And when we're in need, we say, Father, help. Father in heaven, isn't it? We should be like Jesus, isn't it? Looking up to heaven, depending on our Father in heaven, just as Jesus did. And he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Again, where do we read of that happening in the Bible? Well, if we flick forward to Mark chapter 14, we read about Jesus sort of giving thanks and breaking bread there, don't we? Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus sort of tears, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sort of tears these loaves of bread, doesn't he? To feed people physically. And Jesus' body, Jesus who is the bread of life, Jesus' body was torn so he could sort of spiritually feed the whole world, doesn't it? Isn't that a powerful picture there? Jesus' body torn like a loaf of bread in order to spiritually feed a lost and dying world. And then to close, this is 43 to 44. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So 5,000 men must have been at least 15,000 people. But what is the significance of the 12 basketfuls? Is this a significance to them? Why, why doesn't the Bible just say, why didn't the apostles sort of Peter tell Mark, or just say that they were a certain amount of, just say there were basketfuls left over? No, say there were 12 Important. Write down 12. Come on, Mark. (laughs) What is the significance of 12 basketfuls? Well, the church in the Old Testament had 12 tribes. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. And the New Testament church have 12 apostles, don't we? So Peter, James, John. 
So that means that God provides for his people in every age. He provided for the ancient church in the wilderness, and he provides for the sort of international, worldwide church today. Do you believe that? That we have a God who can provide? We've sung about it, isn't it? A faithful God who provides. So what have we learnt about the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Let's do a quick little recap. What do we learn about Jesus? Well, firstly, he gives rest, doesn't he, from verse 31. Can you see that? Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus is the rest giver, isn't he? Secondly, he is compassionate. Our Lord Jesus Christ is compassionate. We see that in verse 34, don't we? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. And thirdly, he is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd who protects us, lays down his life for us, who feeds us, isn't it? Who teaches us. What do we read in verse 34? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he provides. This is 41 to 42. He's the great provider, isn't he? And then lastly, he satisfies. Only he satisfies. That's what we read there in verses 41 and 42. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the question this morning is, do you know him? Do you know this Jesus who gives rest? Do you know this Jesus who is compassionate? Do you know this Jesus who is a shepherd? Do you know this Jesus who provides and who satisfies? And the question as well is, have we forgotten? My biggest problem as a Christian, I forget that every day. I need to be reminded of that every day. Dav, don't you remember who Jesus is? He's the one who gives rest. He's the one who's compassionate. He's your shepherd. He provides. He satisfies. Look to him. Trust in him.